This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everybody into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN Troop affiliate of the Utah Jazz. Also the Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. This week, Zach Harper is in Oakland covering the Golden State Warriors, their quest for 73 wins that wrapped up successfully last night. We will bring him on to the show later on as a guest in this at 7.30 to talk about that and, of course, the rest of the NBA. So instead of Zach, we have Angie Treasure, uh, <laughs> no, I'm. I didn't say I, that. I feel positively. like that's an an accurate accompanying sound effect. Uh, I mean, sure. We, I guess. Okay. I, 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 I no, I don't agree. No, I relative agree. to Zach, it's fine. It's a letdown. Zach but is great. I'm but... happy to fill in. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, of course. Um, and so we do the KSL Court Report podcast. Uh, irregularly, I would sure. say, after some jazz games. See, I was going to go with semi-regularly, news. and you went with irregularly. Yeah, so I mean, half full, half empty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm notorious pessimist, Andy Larson. Actually, no, yeah. I was an optimist until this jazz week of basketball destroyed my soul. Right. What a turn this week has taken. Yeah, I mean, everything was so great just last week, and now uh, since our last show, the Jazz lost to the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clippers D-League, essentially. The, yeah, so that, was, that wasn't that was brilliant. Uh, <laughs> they lost to the Dallas Mavericks, mm-hmm. and they lost to the Los Angeles Lakers, allowing Kobe Bryant to score 60 points. Yeah. It's been ugly. It's, it's also, not the been Jazz great. didn't make the playoffs. Right, and went from a 95% chance of making it Correct. to being... Zero percent chance. Zero percent. And associated sadnesses thereof. Yeah. Um, I before we get into that, and there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Let me at least lay out the rest of the show for our listeners. Uh, so we've got Zach Harper coming up at seven thirty today. Was also the Jazz's end of season media availability as a result of them losing last night and and, and missing out on the playoffs. Uh, so we'll have some quotes and, and uh, audio from that as well, especially in the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to be doing a lot of um, hits from that, so uh, stay tuned for that. We got your reader questions, or I guess listener questions, uh, in about 7.45, just listening. And, and uh, if you guys want to submit any questions for that, please tweet either me at Andy B. Larson or Angie at snark underscore tank. Yes, she is the inf- infamous snark tank <laughs> featured in many lovely publications. Um, me. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we'll do uh, around the NBA, talk about all the different things, whether that be the Warriors 73 wins, Kobe 60, uh, the two coach firings that have happened today. They're just referenced in that ESPN news hit and uh, all the playoff matchups that are about to happen. Yeah. So it should be good. Anyway, last night, though. Yeah, back to what's not good. Last yeah. night. The show should be good. Uh but yeah, this last week of basketball has been bad. I so, okay. So I I woke up this morning just like kind of I felt like I had just had a nightmare, okay? Right. It, there last night was not real in terms of the Jazz allowing 60. Like think about how dreamlike the scenario is. It's like if you had a if you went to a therapist and told them about this dream you had, they'd be like 
okay, this this yeah. makes sense as a dream. Right. But the, the reanimated like, corpse of Kobe Bryant comes back to life. Right. To shoot the ball Shoots a ton of 50 times. 50 times. That wouldn't happen in an NBA game. Right. I mean, certainly. His arms would fall off. No other player has even taken 40 shots this season, let alone 50. And heck, Russell Westbrook, who is an insane person, <laughs> took 36, 36, which was the, the previous season high in a double overtime game. Right. And Kobe Bryant... Uh, Far out clips sure. eclipse that. I mean, yeah. that's the most shots in, what'd you say it was? Uh, since 82, 83? Yeah, so that's, I mean... Obviously, Wilt Chamberlain took more. So that's not real. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, that's for sure not real. Um, and then it's also, you know, his final game, so you get, like, the, the piece of Jordan memory, recessed sad memory of final game of elite player right. making jazz fans sad. Then you've got, of course, the Jazz losing in the final game, missing out on the playoffs on that night, admittedly not because of the right. Jazz losing Missing that game. Missing out on still. ending 500. I mean, it would have been nice to end, have the Jazz end 41-41. Sure, that would have been It's ar- It's lovely. a little arbitrary, but still. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, maybe if you feel some, like, recessed guilt also about moving screens, say, in Game 6 of the 1997 Western Conference Finals when Carmelo Malone <laughs> bear-hugged the Houston Rockets defender to allow... John Stockton to hit that wide open three. Yeah. Um, well, here are like eight of them in right. your. It's like, and it, they all admit. And Julius Randall is like, ha ha. Russ didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> I a, moved so much while setting screens. And he knew, right? Like he, he knew what he was doing. It and kind of credit to Julius Randall. I honestly sure. didn't think he was that smart of a basketball player to take advantage <laughs> to that extent. That was legitimately the weirdest game I've ever watched. Absolutely. Just a hundred percent strange from top to bottom. What can I say? Mamba out. And yeah, and and then like the whole the other dream thing about it is that you know I, waking up today I know it doesn't matter right like it's it's not a thing that really matters or happens you know like right. it, actually you can make a case that losing last night helps the Jazz because you know they don't have to do a coin flip for this twelfth or thirteenth pick right. they know that the twelfth pick is theirs uh, but. Then you just wake up just feeling awful and kind of angry at the world. Yeah, it was a sadness hangover this morning for sure. Right. Um, it's still, I, I still don't know what to make of it. It's just like a, a thing that doesn't make sense that he scored 60 points in no, a game. No, no. I mean, considering how terrible he's been. Right. I mean, it, I, it took 50 shots to get there. Some of them were so funny. So I was bad. laughing so hard watching this game. I, I don't know how to explain how so many of them actually went down. Not so many, but enough to get to 60. I He looked so tired, too, watching yeah. that game. Oh, oh, he was shuffling because cross people court. people shouldn't take 50 shots. Yeah, it's not normal for the human body. No, it's stupid. <laughs> um. <laughs> and he would have shot it more. Yeah, absolutely. If you know, If that game goes into overtime or like Spencer Hall wants all 85 shots taken by... Kobe. Kobe. I think 50 shots, as we learned last night, is like the most a person can can take. Right. That's, <laughs> and there that's, were no shots that like Kobe didn't shoot last night. No. And it was definitely one of those games. One part, reason it was so weird is watching everyone get the ball to Kobe no matter what. Right. Watching him try to shake the defender and shoot it no matter what. His awkward laugh, too, at the end of the game when he was referencing that was so, like, he laughed for like five seconds too long about. Yeah. He's trying him to be a normal asking human him being. not to pass the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Kobe's not a normal human being. No, no. He's he's not very good at showing. His, yeah. Trying to show that he's not a, a normal human being. That's what makes him great. That's what made him a heel in the NBA. But certainly 
that was just the most bizarre thing I've ever watched on <laughs> on television. And it was funny until the Jazz started losing, right. and then it was not funny. Because they were up 10 with three minutes left. Like, that's, that's, a, you that's know, a wrap. 99% chance of winning. And, and then, then... They didn't score for the rest of the game. Right. right. That, that's really the problem. Is Sure, you allowed 15 points to Kobe, but, you know, if you score five more, you're, you're okay. Five points in three minutes under, you know, four or five possessions, right. you think you probably have it. But they didn't. And, of course, that's kind of emblematic of the Jazz's long-term uh, problems in close games this season. Yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, actually, you know, let's get into that. So, you know, now the Jazz season is over. 82 games are done. Like, the stats on basketball reference are the stats that they will be for the rest of the summer. Nothing is going to change. And so we can kind of make, uh, we can kind of start looking at the season in review, right? hmm And so... Lots of different questions. First of all, we talked about kind of how close they were to making the playoffs again. We we felt that they were likely to make the playoffs last just last week, right? And then yeah. things I, I, I don't want to so fast. Yeah, it's it's like things fell apart. That's almost like too passive of a language though to use, right? Like in some sense the Jazz screwed up enough. They actively right. l- lost. <laughs> right. And yeah, the Clippers game was definitely like an active losing situation. Right. They didn't show up prepared or they just I mean Jamal Crawford happened it was so bizarre right I mean but Jamal Crawford of course he's gonna shoot 30 or score 30 points in that game yeah, I that's think he the took obvious... 21 22 shots or something like not, not 50 of them but right 22 but then letting Cole Aldrich score 21 and get 16 rebounds that's that's a problem that's a real big problem um so you know that happened and I mm-hmm. guess the Jazz allowed it to happen but then if you kind of look at the whole season on, on its own and look at like the Jazz's point differential, which is something Dennis Lindsay talked about today. The Jazz, if you go by point differential, which is actually more predictive than record win losses, the Jazz should have had a forty-six and thirty-six record. Oof. That's you know that's the five seed, right? Yeah. So if you know they win the amount of close games that you would expect, and kind of again, like Dennis Lindsay said today, it's kind of a, a zero-sum sort of game. Usually these close games. Uh, you know, they're playing the Clippers and maybe have a chance to even make it to the second round. Right. Um, Pot- lost this yeah. week, notwithstanding. Right. But instead, it's the completely opposite right. different thing. I mean, so many different things could have gone differently. Well, and it's one of those things, too, where the Jazz, when the Jazz are good, they're very good. And when they lose, a lot of time they're losing by this these small margins. Right. They're falling apart. Maybe not falling apart. Uh, maybe that's not the right terminology they're not executing um the defense for some reason yeah, lapses the defense doesn't work at the end of games which doesn't make any sense right, right. and like, i th- i think most people point to offensive production in the final five minutes of the game and assume that's where things go wrong i think a lot of it is is confirmation bias when you see gordon hayward cough up the ball or you see you know some so somebody not make take a shot right uh that that they consider that you know that the jazz's offense is what's killing them in the five final Final two minutes, three minutes of a game. Because offense is easier to track, right? Like way easier. Like when we when we look at the Jamal Crawford shot, for example, we say good offense and don't really look at the role of the defense. But right. maybe if Derek Favors doesn't switch out to, on Jamal Crawford and you have a wing mm-hmm. who's used to playing in the perimeter, maybe he does a better job of contesting that shot. Yeah, it just seems strange that the Jazz's defense would be so poor in the right, final. Given that it's in usually the pretty elite. Right. It seems like if if that's your strength that you should be able to even turn it up a notch when the circumstances demand it. Yeah, and, and and even given that, I think there were still times where 
the Jazz were unlucky. I mean, we, we look sure. at the first Houston game where Jeff Withy got hacked or they missed the uh, out-of-bounds call mm-hmm. that would have either one of those probably gives the Jazz a win. Uh you look at, say, if they are able to pull down the defensive rebound against the Golden State Warriors and Clay Thompson Clay misses from... the first three-point shot, doesn't, doesn't get, get a, a chance second. for the second, Jazz win that game. Uh, same thing is true again in that Clipper game. I mean, these are like the ones that come right to mind without having to think <laughs> about them at all. And yeah. that's because they are just painful for Jazz fans to remember. Yeah, and it's interesting because in an 82-game season where the Jazz were so close, they were one or two games out, um, to to think of one game either deeming it a success or yeah, failure. Yeah, and not only one game, but just like one instant. or I One mean, play. I mean, it's it it really doesn't come down to one play. Like, I don't believe that on a broad diplomatic okay, but, sense, okay, but also... It kind of does. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying... What do you mean? Okay, what do you mean in a broad diplomatic sense it doesn't come down to one play? Because you have to play 82 games. Okay, okay, I, I got you. 48 minutes. Sure. And there's plenty of times you mess up that in the second quarter or you do well in the second quarter that it's a lot more difficult to point to and say, hey, Jeff Withy didn't box out that one time. You're shaking your head. No, I mean, I mean, I I just, yeah, I I was just mad that you were blaming Jeff Withy for this. No, Jeff can do no wrong. Who should I blame? Uh, Chris Johnson? Yeah, sure. (laughs) No, I I mean, I think everyone's to blame, right? You, You look at like, Gordon Hayward, for example, shooting as poorly as he did in the Dallas game. Or, I mean, Rodney Hood went one right. for 11 in that game. Streaky. And he's a second-year player. And we've probably, as a fan base and media group, put a little too much pressure on Rodney to perform as a sophomore in the league. Yeah, I think But there he's was shown a, such potential, I think it's easy to feel like he can attain that. There was a probably too quick anointing of Rodney Hood as having even it, Yeah, right? and as even the go-to scorer. Right, and that's that's definitely not the case. And uh, I mean, we we saw why, right? Like, if the guy's going for one for eleven in in a critical game, the most critical game of the season, maybe the most critical game the Jazz have had in four years, that's probably not the guy you want. As it's not, he's not ready Yet. to be a go-to scorer now, right? Right. Yeah. Um. And I, I'm okay. Look, I'm. Uh, I'll go into Rodney Hood because we have planned to talk about him anyway. Sure. I'm not uber convinced that like Rodney Hood is ever going to be a go-to scorer um, because I I don't think he will get to the rim enough and get to the free throw line mm-hmm. enough. Uh, he kind of talked about it where he, uh, it was the last interview of the day at media availability. He talked about how he's a two-foot jumper rather than a one-foot jumper. Hmm. Um, and a lot of guys who draw fouls, and I, I'm super impressed that he explained this, and by the way, why he's going to win the award for best media um, presence Rodney Hood is for the, from, for the Utah Jazz mm-hmm. um, is so that he's he's jumping off at of two feet rather than one and guys like James Harden and Jamal Crawford guys who do draw a lot of fouls are one foot jumpers they can right. kind of be uh, they can awkwardly situate their body enough and still get enough athleticism on it that they get fouled um, and you know, still either finish or are able right. to get the shot off. And Rodney Hood's not that guy. Gordon was able to figure it out and become, he draws fouls a lot more than he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's more athletic than Rodney Hood. Yeah, um, I, I do too. You'd, you'd hope he could figure out how to do it even without that athleticism. I think there's probably still things he can learn. And that's definitely something I would hope he would add to his game from year two to year three. But... I mean, th- there could be an argument made that Rodney Hood's like your sixth man eventually. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of. Uh, he's a scorer, right? Yeah. But he's. I think he he could be both, right? Like he's sure. he's good enough at shooting the ball from the outside and good enough defensively that he can be either a capable part of a starting five mm-hmm. or a kind of a lead scorer against On a second unit. poor defensive units, right? Yeah, and I really think his and Hayward's. Um, double wing threat this season has been interesting. Mm-hmm. Just that they've been able to go away from the stronger defender, um, and you know Rodney will have a good night when Hayward's being handed, hounded, and vice versa. Um, I think it's a really interesting combination. They scored differently enough that I think, um, and even the left and right-handed thing is interesting yeah, on the court yeah. and kind of fun. So I, I think we'll, he should make a maybe not a jump, but maybe show more consistency in the next season. I got this question from Utah Sports Fanatic at Utah Sports Fanatic with some of the vowels taken out is his Twitter <laughs> handle. Um, but not all the vowels, so good luck looking him up. Uh, <laughs> asked, you're a stats guy. Did anyone actually improve this year? Didn't really seem like it. Um, Rodney Hood's clearly, to me, one of those guys who did improve. Yeah. Uh, in terms of number of shots he took, in terms of some of his percentages, uh, in terms of, I, I think, his rebounding and assist game mm-hmm. made a lot of strides over the season. Uh, Making plays out of the pick and roll has been awesome with him. Yeah, and and that's that's great. Treating his him as the ball handler, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Uh, Trey Lyles, obvious, like clear improvement during oh. the course of the season. Like November to a, April. Yeah, was a mess in November and wasn't playable, and was a big reason why the Jazz were kind of bad when he had to play so many minutes. And now, you know, he really carried the team in the Jazz's last one of the season against Denver. He really did. It's it's and he's fun to watch. I mean. A 6'10 guy who's able to be as skilled as he is, he's going to be a real asset next season when I don't, I won't, I would be surprised if Trevor Booker's back just because I think Trey Lyles will demand those minutes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I mean, it's not crazy to think about him as the clear third no, big man. That's not in, crazy, in a- which is a big tribute to the Jazz's development staff, you know, that a guy can be a contributing men- member by the end of his rookie season mm-hmm. and and be a clear rotation player in the third or in his second year. Yeah, Trey Lyles talked about Jeff Watkinson, uh, one of the Jazz's assistant coaches, as he's each player kind of gets their quote-unquote assistant coach, mm-hmm. um, their guy who they work with on a day-in and day-out basis. And he said he's kind of like my second dad at this point, wow. which should say a lot about how— Do they have friendship bracelets? <laughs> You have friendship bracelets with your dad? No, I'm I'm just thinking parents. I'm thinking of a of a pairing thing that would oh, that okay. would signify so you know who your like guy bracelet is. buddies. <laughs> like I don't think so, but that's a friend's reference. Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, Second dad, that's where you were headed with that. Yeah, so that and I think again we've seen that on the court and so A good hire by the Jazz to hire Jeff Watkinson mm-hmm. and B um, already showing dividends out there on the court. Um, his rebounding's been surprisingly good. I was, I was talking to David Locke a little bit about this after the after the um, media availabilities today, and kind of where Trey Lyles goes depends whether or not he's going to decide to care on defense, right? Like, right. if he becomes a good defense player, then he's like incredible. He's a star level player in this league. He's probably not Draymond Green, but he's a poor uh, man. like Chris Bosh. Yeah, that, that would I don't be think amazing, that that's crazy. You know, an insane all-star. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> a pretty high Which ceiling. Is starting, right, but that's that's absurd. Yeah. But if he's not, then, you know, he'll at least be Ryan Anderson, sure. right? Like a guy who can shoot from the outside and do a lot of things for you offensively if hurt he's you He's va- valuable and is going to make a lot of money. 
And, by the way, it's probably going to be the best 12th pick of all time because there are no other good 12th picks really? ever. Nick Collison is probably number mm. two on that list. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, not great. Yeah. I, do you think it's a matter of not caring on defense? Um, A little bit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to be too harsh, but I think a little bit sometimes he just didn't care enough. You know, he, he would let guys shoot over him so to avoid the foul. Interesting. Um, so on a scale from Ennis Cantor to Rudy Gobert, where would you put him? Like a two and a half or three. Like he's not that far away from Ennis Cantor right now. I got to be honest. Right. Now. Ennis didn't seem to care at all. Right. And he Ennis, just wanted to be an offensive player. And that was a bum. Like every rookie except for Carl Anthony Towns is bad at defense. Like that's how right. this works. Yeah. Um, and don't... maybe Dante Exum. But like it's just it's like one guy a class. Who's good at defense? Yeah, Stanley Johnson was okay this year, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, but it's no, it's rare. It's not like game changing. Um, Kevin Durant wasn't was terrible at defense his first year, for example. But uh, Trey Lyles, what was bad about Ennis Cantor is that he never improved on the defensive end, mm-hmm. and Trey Lyles has the opportunity to improve, or he has the opportunity not to. Either way, just like Ennis, he's going to get a lot of money, <laughs> right? But it kind of depends on how much of a star level player he's going to be. How good he wants to how be. How good he, yeah, how good he wants to be. Yeah. And that's that's kind of an interesting question. I think it's interesting because I don't think players are will fit into Quinn's system if they aren't putting in the effort on defense. I think that's been right. proven that if you're an offense first, defense maybe <laughs> type of a player like Ennis or Trey Burke have been, you're it, it's just not going to work out. Right. And so that's and that's kind of how Quinn and the rest of the team has to challenge him is that you know look if you want to be part of this, got to start. You got to commit, defense. yeah. And put, put your hand in there. someone's face, right? Yeah. And, and like he, you know, he goes through the motions. <laughs> he's missing rotations like every rookie, but I think he does have to at some level develop toughness, and that's not there yet. Sure. Um, other players who I thought got better, uh, Trey Burke obviously became a better shooter. Um, was not actually like was a little bit better of a player as a result, but still was a net negative on the floor, which is mm-hmm. why he wasn't on the rotation. Um, Howell Neto clearly became a better shooter this season Amazing. because he shot twenty percent in Spain and now <laughs> shot forty percent in the NBA. So that jump is crazy. Thumbs up to Howell Neto. Who was his coach? Um, Igor Kokoskov. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he kind of coached all the point guards. Ditto with Trey Burke, by the way. So nice. Igor, shooting coach for the win. There we go. Um, and Shelvin Mack, too, who also was a much better shooter in a jazz uniform than in an Atlanta Hawk uniform. So Igor, shooting coach forever. Is there um, something about the scheme that allows the point guard to get free and, and get yeah, good Yeah, I luck? think so. I, I really do think so. You know, in Atlanta, so much of their offense is point guard, pick and roll oriented yeah. because they have Jeff Teague and Dennis Schroeder, who are pretty good at it. Um the Jazz have Gordon Hayward and and uh, Rodney Hood to do a sure. lot of the pick and roll action. So a lot of it's just like catch and shoot opportunities. I mean, yeah. think about most every Howell Neto three ever. <laughs> right. And you've got kind of how the Jazz's offense is designed to work. Sure. Uh, I thought Gordon Hayward, he, you know, you look at like the year to year numbers and he didn't improve that much in, or at all, really, in terms of like points, rebounds, assists, so mm-hmm. on. But I thought he stopped taking the long two. Which is like, good. Which is good because he took so many of them. Like so many, he was like, second or third in the league last year in the number of long twos he oof. took, um, and now he's moved those shots to outside the three point line, which is which is nice to see. Um, Derek Favors started taking more mid range shots, mm-hmm. but just missed a lot of them. <laughs> they looked so automatic. I felt at the beginning, like third of the season. I think once his health declined, that left him. Yeah, immediately it, it became more. Um, 
uh, hit and miss. You know, some yeah. games he would have great, yeah, mid range shooting, and some games it'd be kind of bad. So yeah. uh, that's something if he really can add that to his game and take those same number of shots, but actually make you know forty five percent of them instead of thirty five percent, then yep. he's he's a very different player. Um, and that's that's kind of the players I had as as guys who improved, guys who are about the same or worse. Uh, Rudy Gobert is one of those guys. Uh, we may use that audio later on if, mm-hmm. of him kind of talking about the things he improved on, but clearly like didn't block as many shots, um, was probably worse on offense, had more turnovers on the offensive end, certainly this year compared to last year. Mm-hmm. So it's bummer, interesting to hear probably him... injury based, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's interesting to hear him say that he thought some of his turnovers were like footwork based. Yeah. He would kind of get out of position and then he didn't have the strength to to keep his feet where they were, and he ended up coughing the ball. I, I don't think I would have come up with that. Yeah, that was interesting. I wondered if I wondered if he was like referencing traveling turnovers, which I didn't think he got that many of this year. But no, uh, yeah. I think he bobbled the ball a lot when he'd lose footing. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And someone would body him up, and he would he couldn't do anything with it. Um, Trevor Booker couldn't finish at all. Was awful no. offensively at the beginning of the year, and then put he it improved, together. but it it was rough for a but, while. Yeah, season to season was worse than last year. Right. Uh, Alec Burks. I don't know that you can point to any improvements. I mean, he was a good uh, three point shooter, um, but honestly, he was. He last had year two too. great dunks. He had two great dunks, but yeah, wasn't healthy. I then mean, also broke his leg. So yeah, <laughs> bad. Bummer. Bad column. Uh, Jingles was about the same guy. Same. I mean, he's. 28 years old, you don't expect him to change much as a player. No. Uh, and Chris Johnson still can't make a three and still tries hard. Which is really disappointing because he really would be a viable NBA player if he could make that corner three at like 30, 33%, 35%. Yeah, really that would probably be good enough, but 25% is sadly not. No. All right. Well, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk to Zach Harper, the usual co-host of the show, national NBA columnist for CBS Sports Com. He's in Oakland right now covering the Golden State Warriors, so we'll talk to him next about their quest for 73 wins and, and I guess their successful quest for 73 wins and the rest of the NBA playoffs. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Don with some crazy music choices. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's all his fault. (laughs) You're not sorry? (laughs) I think I... I think I have to go buy a truck now. Yeah. And and cut a mullet. It will be so polluting. I have to get a back tattoo. (laughs) All right, well... <laughs> I got to start saying America. We're going to make fun of John so hard right now. Um, can we... Let's bring on Zach Harper. Uh, Zach, National CBS Sports NBA columnist, usual co-host of the show. Zach, how are you? Uh, well, I started hearing that music, and now I'm wearing a sleeveless T-shirt. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> they just fell off. off. <laughs> they just fell off completely. Well, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. It's Is that something you'd ever listen to in your car, Zach? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on what radio stations are available and, and who who took me hostage. I mean, I'm sure that that matters. That would that would factor into it. So, we got a, a Twitter question before we get into the Warriors um, from Riley O'Brien at Riley O'Jazz. What is your single favorite game or moment of this NBA season? Oh, I would have to say that that. Uh, 
Warriors Thunder game where Steph hit the forty five footer to to win the game. That was good. That like I was I can't remember what game we were at for the Jazz, but I remember I was following that along on my computer, and I don't remember any part of the Jazz game that night. <laughs> I remember every part of that of that Warriors game. Yeah, no, that's fair. I remember Ben was like was made us not spoiler the game for him. So like you, me, and Angie sit next to each other on this table, and then Ben's right there, and he like it had wanted nothing to do with the final score or what was happening in this game. Meanwhile, everyone was like literally <laughs> dancing and waving their arms about what was what was happening in front of them on the television. Anyway, we really should have given him like those horse blinders. Yeah, that night. <laughs> just focus in that's straight ahead. I I think that's fair. Um, so anyway, you're in you're in Oakland for uh, the Warriors uh, the seventy third win last night. What was being there like? How is what's the feeling uh, obviously around uh, the Golden State Warriors right now? That, uh, people are optimistic. <laughs> are they? They're, uh, they're quite they're quite high on this team right now, which you know, fair or unfair, but they're no. That place is crazy. Like that place is there. There is a certain energy in that building that um, you, I just don't feel any in any other building. And it's every time Steph gets the ball, there's just this like it feels like this euphoric aura wafts over you and you can't help but get excited like it's it's a magical place that um that you just you can't really compare to any other place and it, it's i don't know like I, they won 73 games like i don't really know how to how to throw superlatives on them anymore like they're just they're the best team ever they're they're that good once it became clear that seven th- 73 wins was going to happen and that that happened pretty early um did the buzz become all about steph making 400 threes yeah, that, that everyone was well aware of exactly what he needed that night, and so he hit six in the first quarter. He had seven. Um, he had his seventh in the second quarter, and then he had two looks. One was from the A in Oracle Arena on the court, which is a stupid distance to shoot from, even even in my opinion. And and he missed that one, and then he got the ball back, and he he sidestepped the defender and shot a corner three and missed that one, and that would have been eight right right before halftime. Which would have given them a seventy. It would have given them seventy-three points at halftime. He would have had four hundred threes. They were about to win their seventy. There was all kinds of number synergy going on if he had hit that. And then we had to wait till the second half. So that once he got that, then it was like, wow, is he going to end up with forty points? Because I think he needed forty-one points to average thirty on the season. So then once he got that, everyone just threw threw themselves in this giant Steph party. Yeah, I mean, I. Uh, uh... And he deserves it. I, I still think it's so weird that like the Charles Barkleys of the world are trying to take things away from this team. Like there's like there's anything that they can't do. It's just a jump shooting team, Andy. <sighs> it is just a jump shooting team. That's all. They just jump shoot on defense. They jump shoot on offense. <laughs> they jump shoot on the boards. They they jump shoot everything. I don't think I know what I'm what verb I'm actually using right now. But I think Charles is just messing with people. I think he's just. I think he's trolling Warriors fans because it gets a reaction. I don't think he actually believes that. He's he's a kind of smart guy. Yeah, uh, is he? I'm impressed at how good he is then at keeping his face right. Like he he keeps a straight face during all of this. He wants through a guy through a through a a, a, a window at a bar, and then when asked in court uh, if he had any regrets, he said, "Yeah, that we weren't on the second floor." When I did it, like I, I think he can keep a straight face. That's, a, that's <laughs> amazing. That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, Charles Barkley is a pretty cool person. Um, there was another NBA game last night. Okay, there were fifteen other NBA, fourteen other NBA games last night. One of them involved the Los Angeles Lakers and the Utah Jazz. Was there any sense of like 
what was happening with Kobe um, in Oracle at that point. Have you had a chance to go back and watch any of that game? Uh, I watched all of his shots, which took a long time. Actually. <laughs> that was actually the uh, entire I, game, so the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I've seen the game. Um, I, I don't know that the crowd was all that aware because it was very Warrior-centric and everyone was celebrating 73, but everyone in the media section, like we were all following it, we were watching it. Um, it, was, it got to a point where it was like, oh, my God, he's, he's taking 31 shots. That's hilarious, not knowing that 19 more shots were going to come. <laughs> and then when he caught fire – it was kind of, we were trying to figure out, like, is this a charity game? Is this an actual NBA game? Like, how are the Jazz treating this? That, like, it, none of it made sense, but it was kind of the perfect ending to Kobe. Yeah, it's, it definitely felt like a charity game. Like, in soccer, for example, they do, they do these, quote-unquote, testimonial games where, like, if, you know, if Kobe Bryant would have retired, then they would have brought, like, Magic Johnson to play point guard and, like, Kareem out there to play center and, you know played the Washington Generals essentially and like that's that's how they do it in soccer and I feel like having a real NBA opponent out there for this circus was almost uh, was was so weird and and for a a player of of Kobe's stature and it could have only ended that way right like with this giant spectacle that didn't make any sense that wasn't really about basketball that was about just celebrating this great figure in sports and letting him do the one thing that we always make fun of him doing, which is shooting too many times. And he even made a joke about it after the game where he said, for 20 years people have been saying pass, 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 and this was the first night where everyone said shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, and, and so that's kind of like a perfect way to end everything. And maybe they could have, I don't know, I think Chris Mim was there either in attendance or, or working a concession stand or something. Like they could have brought some of the old players out there and thrown them in, thrown them in the game. I don't think anybody would have had a problem. Yeah, Just I mean, make they it weird. In- they were yeah, in the front row anyway. <laughs> Make Jack Nicholson do half-court shots. Just get uh, r- oh, really I think, strange. I think, I think he'd be great at them. I, I mean, he'd be better at them <laughs> than, like, you know, Brandon Bass. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand why we need Kobe's current teammates to play in this game. You had a great article. I believe it was released Tuesday on uh, Carl Anthony Towns and... Uh, kind of, uh, you, it's called flip script, which first of all is a good piece of punnery and I should expect nothing less. Uh, and then I also wanted, so I wanted to ask you about that article and I wanted to ask you about, uh, Zach Lowe actually mentioned him as a all NBA third teamer today in his, his article. Um, I mean, what do you make of that? What do you make of Carl Anthony Towns season Uh, on a scale of one to 10? How good is Carl Anthony Towns, et cetera? (laughs) He, uh, well, first, I can't, amazingly, I can't take credit for Flip Script. That was my editor's choice. It was great. So really? as much as I, I feel like he channeled me by coming up with that. But, yeah, that, was, that wasn't me, so I can't take credit for that. But on a scale of 1 to 10, like, I don't know, he's like a 13, 14. Like, he's unreal. He, he's so good for a 20-year-old big man. He has almost no faults on the court. And I even... You know, I was talking to him for a while before our, our radio show, like a month ago or whenever that was. Mm-hmm. And and while we were talking, I you know I said you know sometimes I go on radio shows and they ask me you know is there anything you can't do and I talk about you know he's not a very good outlet passer and he cut me off. He's like I know I've been working on that. Like I realize <laughs> you can't throw these outlet passes with Russell Westbrook. Uh, you know going going back and grabbing them. So I've been working on that for like two weeks, like trying to. And I'm like, is there anything you're not aware of that you? are just not quite great at that you're going to make great. Like, he's so good. Uh, I think, you know, I put him for all-NBA third team for our CBS awards just because I thought it would be fun. 
um, you know, Zach Lowe has a real vote and he, and he actually is giving that to him. I think that that's gaining traction. And even if he doesn't get it, the fact that we're even considering a rookie big man for all NBA third team, like it just shows you how impressive he is to do that on what they won. They won like 27 games, 28 games this year. Yeah. I mean, he's just going to be an accolade factory from here on out. With all their young talent, who would you like to see the Timberwolves get in the offseason to fill that head coaching position and really maximize guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins? Yeah, it's tough because I think, I think Tom Thibodeau is the favorite right now, and, I, and you hear that he's, he's very interested, so I think it may end up being that guy. But I, to me, like he's the coach to get in four years because I am concerned about him running guys into the ground. And some people think that's overblown, but – I wouldn't want the Wolves to be that experiment, whether, you know, in case that ends up being an, an accurate description of, of Thibodeau throughout this. I think for me, like, I want a younger coach. I want a coach who's, who's kind of up and coming, uh, like a Jaron Collins, a, a Warriors assistant, who's, you know, everyone's kind of buzzing about him now, even though Luke Walton had that start to the season. You know, the people who around the Warriors are saying, well, Jaron Collins was kind of the guy that helped Luke Walton get through that. I would love for him to take the job. Dave Yeager may not be the Grizzlies coach anymore. He would be great. Um, I wouldn't be angry at the Thibodeau hiring, but I do think that you know there there are some concerns there, and, and this is such a special group of young guys. There's no need to to really maximize the risk. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. All right, Zach. Well, we got to go ahead and take a break, but thank you for joining us on the show, even when you're not physically in Salt Lake. You'll be back next week here in Salt Lake, right? You guys are always in my hearts, and I will be back next week. <laughs> Good. All right. That's everyone. That's Zach Harper, National NBA, CBSSports.com columnist, usual co host of the show, gratefully taking a moment of his San Francisco time out to join us. Sure. Thanks, Zach. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a break. On the other side, uh, we've got more reader questions. I think we've got three or four that we want to answer during this next segment. So that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Go, 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 go. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's a better song. Yeah. All right. Welcome back in Salt City Hoops show. Uh, Uptown Funk. It's a good song. All right. We got listener questions for this segment. Um, first of all, from Corey Haas, at Haas Corey, if you had to say right now, who do you think will not be returning to the Jazz next season? Uh, Trey Burke. Trey Burke is unequivocally Trey Burke gone for sure. I mean, yeah. I don't see a scenario where he makes sense. No, the, you it, know it, he did, he was clearly out of the rotation by the end. He's he's the, the worst of the three bad point guards we had. <laughs> right, and Dante's coming back. Right, so with four point guards, Trey Burke makes even less sense. Yeah, and he's you know he's not a shooting guard. I think that experiment failed. Right. Because, again, can't play defense on small or big people. It's a problem. It's a problem. Uh, so not Trey Burke. Uh, I don't think Chris Johnson will be back. Um, you would hope they would upgrade. The team yeah. would upgrade enough. Exactly. Look, the Jazz have $28 million-ish in cap space, uh, You know, depending on what happens with some of these non-guaranteed guys. And 12, the, the number 12 draft pick and then 12 more draft picks in the next three drafts. Yeah. So that's so many draft picks. <laughs> and at some point you need roster spots on which to put these guys. They have four draft picks in this year's draft for crying out loud. Wow. Uh, Chris Johnson just doesn't make any sense to keep. No. And to a lesser extent, 
you can make the same case for Tibor Plyce, even though he has a guaranteed contract. Like, they might just wave him and, and eat it. Sure. Or um, Jeff Withy might not. Do you think he has Jeff more? Jeff Withy is good enough that, like, if they don't want him on the roster, they'll trade him. Sure. But uh, I still think he's probably on the roster. Who's like, more likely, Jeff Withy or Tibor Plyce? To be cut? I think to be on, to be still on the team next season. Jeff Withy to still be on the team. Okay, because he's better, right? Like sure. And ultimately, Tibor is fun, and is but he's also twenty six years old and uh, a project. As, as, yeah, he's a twenty six year old project of limited upside. I think that's what that's what um, you want. Twenty six right. so year old project. Ultimately, you, if you have to make the choice, you probably choose a guy who's contributed at the NBA level. You kind of know what Jeff Withy is at this point, right? Which is which is a good player, but he's actually still younger. Sure. And, uh, you he know. also mentioned uh, wanting to take the three next season, which would be fun. Yeah, which makes him Tibor Place. <laughs> like, right, right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I love Tibor, don't get me wrong. He's probably like my favorite jazz player to talk to, but... He's so sweet. Womp womp. Yeah. He just is like... Both Tibor and Howell are like the most honest, like... Kind-based. Kind people. Yeah. They're just like... Are here. They're like we like we basketball. like Utah. We like basketball. We're gonna keep playing basketball. I'm okay if I play basketball in Boise because it's basketball. I'm getting better and it's yeah. fun. And like, well, next season it would be Salt Lake anyway. Yeah. So he's. I don't know. Well, yeah, I, yeah. Anyone who'll say positive things about Idaho, he did. You, you I, go, Tibor. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I did ask him, you know, if he was excited about that uh, move from Boise to Salt Lake, and he said, "Well, I came here to play for the Utah Jazz." So I, sure. I think he wants to graduate from the D League experience a little bit. But yeah. Anyway, uh, so and then I don't Trevor think Booker? Trevor Booker's back. Yeah, I think that's no. the third guy. I uh, think that's an that's a, a place where you can make an obvious upgrade. Right, and again, you have so much money to upgrade. You have a pretty set starting lineup: Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert. Uh, third or fourth big is a clear spot where you can you can make a difference. Do you and, think you get someone who plays clearly over Trey Lyles, or you think someone who kind of is a compliment to him um probably a compliment probably someone with the the who can defend a little bit um, sure yeah like you don't a, want like, two non-defensive bigs yeah like a bench. like a Costa Kufis type okay it's kind of what I imagine but I don't know I'm just throwing that out there yeah um but you know maybe I mean Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors can already play center so maybe you need another small guy I, right I, I mean need a three Chris Humphreys I he's probably not good enough but I don't know someone yeah um so yeah, those three guys: Chris Johnson, Trey Burke, and uh, Trevor Booker. Think Joe Ingles. I mean, I think he, Jingles he, stays. He's under contract. He's good, and he's a like Dante's best friend. I think you kind of hope his his role is less than this year. Yeah. You're not relying so much right, on him for course. for key minutes. Um, ideally, he's not your third wing. Right, but if he's your fifth or sixth wing, you're fine. Sure. Uh, He'll yeah. throw towels <laughs> next yeah. next season in the locker room. He's, he's be still going to be the same guy, which is great. Yep. Uh, Andrew Snyder asked question for the show tonight. What do you think about making a run at Nicholas Batum as a free agent? That's interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, oh, okay, here's the thing. I think the Jazz will absolutely like make a call to Nick Batum's agent. And if I'm not mistaken, him and Rudy, I think share the same French agent. I'm not positive on that, but I I think mm-hmm. uh, he's making... going to get a max contract because every team has max salary space this year. Yep. Um, I, okay, it's 27 teams, but you get it. And I exaggerated by three. But he's going to get a max deal. Right. And the Jazz have the money to offer it. Mm-hmm. So are the Jazz okay with offering that? I think probably. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of long-term money down the road that they need to pay, like Rudy Gobert, you know, Dante Exum, Rodney Hood, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, ultimately, you could probably still pay that 
given that the cap is then going to go up again right two seasons from now right, right? and then the question becomes you Would, are you playing him in the starting lineup oh yeah so that's one question and i think yeah you i mean you you, you play probably, him and do you bump rodney to six man probably yeah, which would be fine. He's a better defender. Way yeah, better you, defender. You have Nick Batum. Yeah, he does everything. The opposition's best guy. He does a lot. He does some of the things Rodney Hood does. And then you just become deeper, right? And then, uh, but I don't think Nick Batum would sign here, right? Like he just has again twenty-seven other NBA teams approximately after him, right? And he probably chooses a place where he doesn't have Gordon Hayward and Rodney Hood as clear. Uh, you know, competition. I guess. Do you think he wants a to be a number one time, no. a number one option? No, but I think he, I, I think he wants to be like a a clear starter wing guy, right? Uh, and maybe on a better team. No, you're frankly, you're right? you're right. I'm sure he he it doesn't want it to be a question of who, whether or not he's starting. Right. So I mean, I I don't know why any free agent would want to move west either. Honestly, not move, not not be, really into the oh, Western just, Conference. Okay. Not not that I think the western part of the United States is a bad place to live. I think moving into the Western Conference would be rough. You're just gonna you're gonna be, get beat up far more than you are in the East. I mean, you really yeah. only have one elite team, maybe two if you count Toronto, but probably not. But like Boston would be a fun location for him. That very fun was you know much better seed in the playoffs, better team wins wise, uh, better city probably, and uh, he'd be you know probably clear starter. Sure. So, I don't know. I, I from his point of view, I just don't think it's likely. But Unless I think the Jazz will try. Rudy just texts him relentlessly. Yeah. go Rudy. Let's do this in French. Uh, JT the Truth at JT for America. He likes John's music choices. <laughs> before you take a break, who do you think are the most likely free agents we get? Well, we already took the break before you asked the question. But most likely free agents that we'll get. That's an interesting question. I mean, clearly the Jazz need an upgrade at the point guard position, but Mike Conley probably isn't going to sign here. The rest of the point guard free agents aren't great. Uh, I think it is like a third. It's kind of a bench upgrade at either mm-hmm. wing or big at the wing or big slots. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of that's kind of all I have for that. We, we're going to talk so much more about free agency <laughs> during this show later that it's going to be crazy. Yep. Anyway, I got to take a break. On the other side, we've got more from the end of season media availability today. Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. What is this? This is an improvement. Improvement over Bruno Mars? No, I mean I li- I like Bruno Mars, but it's it's better than uh, Gone for America, which is yeah, what we had before. That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> we like you, John. That's that's the important thing. We like you. Um. Anyway, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Angie Treasure. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, Utah Jazz beat writer for KSL.com. Angie is the audience development specialist at KSL.com and also the beat writer for the Jazz for Salt City Hoops, right? Sure, yeah. Which is kind of a Those are thing. real titles that I have. Yeah. <laughs> you, like, you're saying that sarcastically, but no, that's actually true. But audience development manager sounds made up. Can we oh, just admit sure. that? It's because it is made up. Like you just do. It, it wasn't a job that existed a hundred, you know, twenty years, hundred years, years ago. There was no audience development manager. But like you were hired, and then we set that job title for you, right? Yep. Like at some level, it was just like we want Angie skills. Yeah. And then we'll make up something right. to go around it. 
Um, That's how I work. You accommodate to me. Now, I won't form, you know, conform to your standards. Right. That's, you will create new jobs. That's because you're a millennial. That's how sure. millennials operate in We're the workplace. We're entitled. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, that's that rant. Tangent. Uh, <laughs> we're so good at those. End of season media availability, i.e. the media time that has replaced locker room clean out because they no longer do it at Vivint Smart Home Arena. Which makes sense, right? Right. Like, it's a lot easier. And honestly, they have, yeah, it's way easier from like a media point of view. Um, and they have like... Their lockers at ZBBC are, I feel like, more frequently visited than their lockers at Vivint Arena. Mm-hmm. So might as well do it at the place where you have things you care about. I don't know. Yeah. I got nothing. So I'm the only one who noticed everyone was in the same outfit except for Trey today. Trey Burke? No, really. Everyone was in their sweats and then Trey was in a white t-shirt. Ooh, well, that's sur- Even Dante was in, was in the sweats. Wow. Well, I don't know what that means. I don't either. Maybe they gave them all sweats as they left. I like uh, I like analyzing Trey Burke things, so <laughs> including his amazing Instagram. If you guys don't follow him, you should. I uh, I just got a tweet from Shug Knight, by the way. Oh, Andy B. Larson is on it too. Why hasn't he shouted out Neto's body? Well, Howell Neto is an attractive individual. Yeah, that's that's every something everybody can agree on. Yeah, I don't think anyone's disputing that. Uh, if we're doing prettiest person on the Jazz. For sure, it has to be Howell. So, but Gordon Hayward gets all the U.S. Weekly and BuzzFeed love. It's only because no one knows who Howell Neto is. I, I mean, mean, no one really knows who Gordon Hayward is either. But, but the yeah, the but clear US number Weekly one hasn't discovered Howell Neto. But if they did, can you imagine if he somehow showed up on Tumblr, like that shirtless picture with the puppy, like fangirls everywhere? Where was yeah, it? I I don't understand. Like the internet is not a. It's not an optimal marketplace, and I don't understand why. <laughs> what like, do you mean? We should just be able to figure out who the most attractive people are, and they should be always in Andy, US Weekly, you, right? You can't quantify everything. Uh, no, but like, <laughs> don't be it's this unfair. way. Someone should have been like, "Yeah, have you seen Gordon Hayward? Or if you've seen Gordon Hayward, how about Howell Neto?" And no one, no one has. No, but that's a little secret we have here in Salt Lake City: is how attractive our starting point guard slash backup point guard was, and fry sauce. Anyway. The same, yeah, the same amount of, <laughs> of awesome. Those are those are important secrets. Yeah, uh, we have quotes from Dennis Lindsay, Quinn Snyder, uh, and the other jazz players. We kind of wanted to point out the most interesting things that I, we thought were said at the Jazz's media availability today. Our man John uh, LaFollette, our producer and music picker, uh, <laughs> was also there and got these quotes for us. So thanks so much for putting them together. Our first one, uh, let's start with Dennis Lizzie because he was first up in the availability. I thought it was really self-evaluative today and was kind of honest about where the team was in relation to where it wants to be. He said, uh, uh, mentioned this about the criticism of the team. I think some of the criticism that's out there has been fair relative to uh, maybe our payroll being low or our team being young. Uh, us not uh, addressing a couple of issues at the trade deadline. And so I welcome all those questions. Um, I'm eager to uh, uh, jump, like Quinn said, into analysis. It's, it's a little quick to digest, but we'll do as good a job as possible. I thought that was interesting that he acknowledged that the criticism about the Jazz not using their payroll space, their cap space, and moves that they could have made at the deadline that didn't. He, he thought those were fair Mm-hmm. criticisms for the team and, and maybe reasons why they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, and 
honestly, those are the the reasons that the Jazz didn't make the playoffs, right? Like right. the bench play. Um, and and I just thought it was interesting. He talked a lot about this dichotomy between um, player development and winning now, like results versus development, mm. which has been interesting um, both as a fan and a media member to see because it seems like uh, fan bases are usually either clamoring for one or the other. Um, Dennis Lindsay has obviously been development-oriented. Um, and it's hard to argue that that's the incorrect Right. Way to roll. Because, like, two years ago, pre-Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder, everyone was like, hey, where's the player development? Why are we playing right. all these vets and Marvin Williams and Richard Jefferson so right. much? Like, right, And, and now they people... were clearly playing Richard Jefferson too much. Right, and now they're the, a lot of fans are like, hey, why didn't we get more help? Which is also valid. Right, like, clearly there's a middle ground. But I, I think it's interesting that Dennis Lindsay is recognizing that and mm-hmm. publicly, too. I think that says a lot about... It's huge. It's very different from Kevin O'Connor. Yes. And I would also say how amazing it was that Dennis Lindsay and Quinn Snyder were available for about 40 minutes. Right. It was like 35, 40 minutes. Right. And, yeah, and, I mean, they they answered all the questions and welcomed the tough ones. In fact, my first question which was about, like, hey, why are you losing so many close games, bro? Um, did you did you say bro at the no, end? I did not say okay. bro. Uh, I wish he would have. And then he answered it for three minutes, which, honestly, we can't play during this whole segment or else we're going to ruin it. But, like, they've looked at this issue and, and have kind of clearly gone in depth of uh, why the the close games, um, why that's happening and, and kind of why it's maybe not the focus uh, of this team. Let's Let's play at least the first part of this audio. One, I'm not surprised of the question, and two, I'm not surprised who it comes from. So uh, that's a credit. I'm not, I'm not taking a shot at you. Uh, it's they're part of the answer won't be maybe what most of you expect in the room. Um, when you're rebuilding, when you're average to below average, our record says we're below average. Uh, the point differential uh, that the team had this year using Pythagorean theorem uh, says we're a 46-win team. You know, that may be a better measure as you're starting to uh, look forward. Um, so the quality of the team isn't indicative of your ability to close close games. It's a zero-sum game. So multi-season, when you play a bunch of close games, more than likely, you're going to add that up, and it's going to be zero. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose. Um, the the uh, a better indicator of a championship caliber team, which clearly we're not. We're playoff competitive. We just missed. Um, but a championship competitive team is your ability to blow out teams and not play those close games. And uh, obviously, the greatest example of that right now is the Golden State Warriors and. So I I think that's uh, first of all super interesting. I ask you know look I, you guys are don't have a very good record in close games, and he went immediately to the statistical research which says basically look this point differential thing Did how much you win games by you? I don't I, this right, is not a new idea no no I know but I feel like you re- referenced that point differential thing a lot. Did he pick it up from you? Maybe, Maybe. I okay. don't know. Sorry, continue. I, I it's possible. Sure. Um. I don't want to give myself too much credit because, again, this is not a new idea. And but. you are amazing. So. Ah, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's nice to hear. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's really interesting that he was like, went first to the Pythagorean theorem, this idea that you can kind of get an idea of how many teams, how many games a team should have won given their point differential during a mm-hmm. season. 
And that's actually more predictive of future uh, win-loss record than current win-loss record. Right. And you see that, again, you reference the Golden State Warriors as a team that blows out a lot of teams uh, and shows that in their record. And doesn't have to face a lot of close games because of that. So did your heart go pitter-patter a little bit when he said Pythagorean theorem? Yeah, for sure. Like, as a math major and nerd, and I'm like, you know, this is my jam. This is... This is like sabermetrics and sports statistics coming into actual practice uh-huh. for my favorite team, right? Like, that's that's huge. Yeah. So, yes. That's pretty oh, wow, I'm about to be a nerd. <laughs> when did you cut that? <laughs> that's a good drop. Uh, that's an excellent drop. I was just a nerd. Yeah. I, it's in the treasure chest. <laughs> I, I wish I knew what was in the treasure chest. I've, no heard, I've, <laughs> I've heard that more than once. hey Touché. Get it? Because my last name's... No? Okay. Continue. I, I get it. Yeah. Because yeah. your All last right. name's Treasure. That's fine. This is Angie Treasure on the radio, Sorry, everybody. guys. Um, Sorry to make a joke on the radio. <laughs> yes. Uh, the fail horn. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, I, I just think it's very interesting for Dennis to have that sort of perspective on close games. And then Quinn went into... Uh, kind of the X's and O's of what they could have done in close games. And I thought it was interesting that they run two-minute drills, for example, kind of like a football team would, but mm-hmm. a basketball team running two-minute game situations so they're experienced on both ends of the floor. That's kind of the best thing you can do in those situations besides, you know, practicing out-of-bounds and set plays, which certainly the team already does. Well, that was something I noticed, too, during the course of the season is sometimes Quinn would call a timeout, maybe when a co- another coach wouldn't, um, when – it's not really the Jazz having a chance to win. I think it was just a, a total teaching moment where Quinn wanted to practice those definitely inbounds. And I, I always found that really interesting. I don't think all coaches do that. I think the Byron Scotts of the world just throw on the towel and, yeah, I, and I, say, "I, you know, this game is over. What difference does it make? And I, Quinn is always looking to teach. I thought it was interesting last night when uh, the Jazz were up 10 and the Jazz only had two timeouts left and the Lakers had five. I thought that kind of said a lot about both of those coaches kind of approach to the game and that even though the Jazz were up 10 at the time, the Jazz, they still didn't think they were playing well. Sure. Um, again, and we're leading throughout. Uh, one super interesting thing is uh, these two trades that he referenced. I, I, let's go ahead and play the, the, the quote. I think we did fairly well uh, with Shelvin at the trade deadline, but there were two particular deals that were actually proposed to us and we said yes to, and for whatever reason, um, uh, we weren't able to consummate that we were more short-term oriented. I was willing to give up uh, a first-round pick, uh, multiple picks, um, very significant salary slot, because uh, we had built that into the equation. And for whatever reason, we weren't able to consummate. And I've got to go through all those postmortems and and see if there was something else that we could have done that uh, would allowed us to. Uh, augment the team where we knew uh, it needed to be augmented. Whoa. I mean, so that he's saying, look, there were these two trades that we thought had we were done. They they offered it to us. And, and then that they said back. yes. And then Jazz were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, didn't the work. team was surprised or it didn't work out um, is super interesting. And, of course, naturally, now I, like, want to know what those deals are and want to find out for all of you and, and right. haven't done so yet because this happened a couple of hours ago. But, like, uh this idea that somehow the team could have gotten this major player that fits into this major salary and would have been worth, again, multiple picks, that's that's like a big-name player that could have been acquired. Like, well, what, what might have been? Yeah, and it's also interesting that, because I think a lot of people question whether or not 
um, Jazz Brass wanted to win now, and even at the trade deadline, mm-hmm. the, if that was a priority or not. And this right. is Dennis Lindsay saying, I mean, if you if you buy it, I don't think he's the kind of guy to make this up. But you know, it's it's happened. Everyone around the NBA, by the way, makes fun of Danny Ainge and him, like saying, "Well, we." Definitely would have traded four first round picks sure. for Justice Winslow. Sure. Oh, we had a great deal for this amazing NBA player and we just didn't right. get it done. But it was so close, guys. You have no idea. Uh, like, yeah. Everyone around the NBA makes fun of that. And now Dennis Lindsay's doing a little bit of it. Right. But, so yeah. you got to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. But it is showing they were a little more willing to switch into win now mode than just playing out the season with what they had. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's so. Uh, again, I'm curious what those moves were, but it's it's just interesting that he would say that on the record. Certainly, Kevin O'Connor would have been like, no comment. Right, and it's a it gives himself a little bit of accountability. Also, this was uh, yeah, that's true. Also, this uh, was in response to Ben's question, which was like, so how's the rebuild going? <laughs> which is yeah. like it's it's interesting that he goes into this much detail on. Uh, sure, I think Ben's question the, was about you know is was this the last year of the rebuild? Right. So Dennis's response, I guess, was related in the sense of. You know, we're trying to move forward. We're not just letting the chips fall where they may necessarily. We've attempted to make these moves at the trade deadline. They didn't work out for whatever reason. But, I mean, there's so much that was interesting about that response. Yeah, let's let's play our next quote. There's one criticism I think you could make uh, uh, that's fair, is we erred towards chemistry, continuity, continued development, because we felt like the players and... Uh, in particular, the coach and staff uh, showed great progress. Um, but the opportunity cost of that is, is was there a veteran that could have helped us stabilize? And again, that's that's interesting that it's Dennis Lindsay asking these questions of himself mm-hmm. uh, and, and his, his operation. And again, I, I think the answer is yes. There it could have been veteran that helped. I mean, clearly the Jazz didn't count on this many injuries happening, and they wanted to give this time to Alec Burks, Rodney Hood, and Gordon Hayward. Well, with Alec Burks gone, that meant that a lot of time went to Joe Ingles and Chris Johnson, which is suboptimal. Sure. Uh, and now, now he's you know second guessing himself, and I th- I think that's fair. I do think it's interesting. First of all, I've heard this answer now today, and then I heard it last week when the Stars moved to Salt Lake and they did that press conference. And uh, Kareem Copeland, the AP jazz writer, asked, so what do you think about this playoff race? Again, I'm simplifying everybody's questions, but <laughs> like that he turned a question about the playoff race into, hey, maybe we could have got more veterans, I think says a lot about where Dennis Lindsay's head is right now mm-hmm. and what his goals are for this offseason. Agreed. Let's do uh, the next one. On uh, was asked by KSL's Rod Zundel, uh, what are some of the improvements you can make? Uh, it talked about ball security. For me, it would be uh, ball security, our turnover percentage. I think we're in the bottom five. Uh, a shot is better than no shot. Uh, I believe that to be true. Um, I think uh, our ball security also led to uh, um, playing on the defensive end uh, in transition and cross matches. I've always thought that when Quinn and Dennis talk about ball security, it's a it's a nice way of saying, well, we didn't have a point guard. Yeah, because that uh, to me is so many of uh, like uh, sure Gordon Hayward and and Rodney Hood and and uh, Rudy Gobert are getting a lot of these turnovers, mm-hmm. but ultimately I think so much of it is because they're asked to do things that maybe a point guard generally would in in another NBA team. It's true. 
And I mean, the Jazz also do throw. Is it the most passes in the NBA or second most pass? I mean, they they just right. They swing the ball so much too. And and that's that's good. But you also want players who can dribble drive and, and absolutely things like you know Rudy Gobert catching the ball without it uh, being necessarily a turnover. Right. Right. So <laughs> that would be better. Um. Then he also talked about the defense and and moving from quote unquote good to unique defensively. We go from 12th defensively to 7th, right? Uh, so above average to good. And yet we, we missed a big component. And so there's an open question, I believe, and, and, and you guys will, I'm sure, write about it and talk about it and analyze and um, in many ways criticize. And, and it's, it's appropriate that can we move from good be the seventh best defensive team in the league to unique and special uh, where where San Antonio was this year and and their size but not along only their size but their discipline and, and then it relating to the overall metrics of they weren't just first in the league defensively they were a lot better we saw that the last 29 30 games of last season how far do you think the Jazz are away from that now from being unique yeah think full season of healthy Dante Rudy um, gets you closer. Yeah, it gets you closer, and I think you need, again, kind of the end-of-game defense. Yeah, I think experience is honestly a big part of it. Yeah, I I also think that, like, strength is actually a big part of it. Because you'll know, like, I think that honestly is is a big reason why Jazz struggles so much at the end of games is because – Teams start grabbing. They start getting a lot more physical. Yeah. Um, rebounds are much harder to come by in you know the last few possessions compared to the first few possessions. So everybody's crashing the glass. Everyone's boxing out at 100% um, because each possession means so much, right? Sure. And then the Jazz, I, I wouldn't characterize most of their players as particularly strong, right? Aside I mean, from Derek, young, Fa- right? Derek, Derek Favors is, is amazingly strong. Yes. But aside from that, you're absolutely but Rudy's, right. Rudy's a skinny guy. Like we saw him get beat to the ball uh, by Amir Johnson in in Boston mm-hmm. uh, in that game, and and that was a critical offensive rebound that cost the Jazz a chance to tie that game. Yeah, I I think Rudy's strength is for sure a weakness right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodney, like we said, is not particularly strong enough and athletic enough to be driving to the rim. Um, Dante's strength is kind of a question mark at this point. Uh, Gordon's kind of an inconsistent rebounder. Uh, yeah. Where sometimes he does, like, I think he had like 13 in the Dallas game. He can um, be an excellent, yeah. But he, it kind of depends. The balls have to go into his area, and he's sure. going to be more focused on uh, transition defense anyway, usually. Yeah. U- ultimately, though, you know, it's it's those sort of things where I think uh, the Jazz can make improvements. I, I don't know if they're going to be, like, number one defense in the league like the Spurs but you hope that they're top five because yeah. then, you know, that's that's something where you're you're making the playoffs, certainly. And it's a consistent thread through management, through players, through coaching. You've heard they all kind of want to identify as a defensive team, um, which I think is positive. I think so much of what's difficult about being a young team is learning what you're going to hang your hat on. And this Jazz team certainly wants to be good defensively. If you can get everyone on board with that and if you have the personnel to do it, it's not a bad way to be successful. We have a billion Twitter mentions that we can't at all talk about on the radio. Sugar, what are you um, doing? <laughs> but Sugar we can, and Garrett? 
We can answer Kenny Big Times. <laughs> Keenan is his Twitter name. Uh, what do you think about the ideas behind moving Rodney to six man and trying to get a Rudy Gay level guy with all the Jazz's money? Uh, and that's kind of what we talked about earlier on yeah. the show, right? Like that's. I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't know how many guys there are like that. I think Rudy Gay is not that guy. I think Nick he's, Batum would make more sense. Nick Batum, yeah, to me would make a lot more sense because he's defensive. Ha, uh, to me, Rudy Gay is going to be so much more of a, a power forward late in his career, right? As sure. the athleticism and quickness naturally goes, like it does for everybody else. Honestly, he's pretty much a small ball four right now. Yeah. Uh, and so I want him playing there more. I don't know that he makes sense on a Jazz roster that already has Derek Favors. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward. Uh, uh, in that front court, right? Like he just—I I don't think he gives you that much difference. I'm with you, I think if you could convince him to be a sixth man, that might make be interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's willing to do that. I mean, I don't know if he'll have a choice soon, but yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at a at a certain I mean, level, you could stay in Sacramento and start and see right. what kind of. A mess that is next year. Right, and he's like, I, I think he's like a starting caliber player, but he's such a weird fit because he's, I, I don't want him as my number one guy, certainly. Uh, so I want, yeah, like a Nicholas Batum to me, a, and he said Rudy Gay level guy, so let's give Keenan some credit here. Uh, <laughs> All right, Keenan. It's fine. It's, or Kenny Big Time, whatever your name is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Big Time? <laughs> Mr. Mr. Big Time. Let's address you like that. Preferred? But someone like Nicholas Batum, who has length and quickness to guard twos and threes, would make some sense. Um, has length, that sort of thing, I think. Uh, you know, you could see the Jazz more easily fitting in. And ultimately, maybe they use their cap space this summer by getting a guy in a trade rather than a free agency kind of thing. I have a hard time seeing the Jazz trade for someone for the starting lineup who isn't uh, a major defensive presence, honestly. Yeah. No, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. We've just to me. learned so much about what this team wants to be. Right. The, the kinds of players that they've traded away and You want to be for. unique defensively that probably does not involve putting Rudy Gay in your starting lineup. Exactly. All right. Well, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk about some of these NBA upcoming playoff matchups. We've also got more quotes, this time from the players from today's end of season media availability. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right. Welcome back in to the Salt City Hoop Show. John showing off his musical uh, variety. Sure, we got some like Euro electronica. Yeah, happening. Just, why not? It's fine. Andy Larson, Angie Treasure <laughs> here with you. Uh, we've got a few more quotes from the Jazz's end of season media availability. This time we we looked last segment at the quotes from Dennis Lindsay. This time we'll get to the, some of the players' quotes. Let's start with Rudy Gobert. Um, we talked earlier on on the show about whether or not he had improved this season. And you look at the stats, and, and they're not friendly. You know, you look at his injuries, certainly took a lot of games from him. But he also didn't have as many blocks this season mm-hmm. and uh, didn't have as, as good of a field goal percentage and had a little bit more turnovers than last season. So I, I asked him if he thought he had improved this season, and he said he had. And I wanted to know in, in what ways he had improved. Um, first of all... Uh... My offensive game, I think, you know, my, my shot, I've been working on it every day. Uh, I think, I, I mean, I got injuries, but I got, still got stronger. Uh, and also defensively, the experience, you know, uh, I mean, that's the kind of thing you don't teach, but, you know, you learn just playing basketball, playing a compete every night. You just learn and get better at it. 
So first of all, Rudy, your shot probably did get better because you took infinitely more shots this season than you did last season. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was still only two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> two to zero. But they were spectacular they, I'm, when I mean, they went I'm, in. I'm glad you did. And, and, you know, maybe we start to see that be part of his game next season. Sure. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting. Probably there is something to making the right plays on defense. And I thought he, you can make a case he got better, especially on the perimeter defensively this season. I agree. Uh, and got stronger. Uh, that's probably true, although uh, it's hard to tell when, again, he's been injured for most of the year or part of the year. Yeah, and I think it's Rudy's a little bit of a microcosm of, of the Jazz's overall season from last year to this year. I feel like last year the Jazz made such a, a big jump, as did Rudy Gobert. And so this year I think fans were expecting that much of a leap again, and it was maybe more subtle for Rudy and the team. Um I do think he's improved, like you said, on his perimeter game. I think maybe the lack of, or the the fewer shots that were blocked, maybe he's making some smart. I mean, you can block a lot of shots, Hassan Whiteside, and be making some poor defensive decisions and still hurting your team. Right. And I think Rudy consciously wants to make the right play on defense. Um, so that's my big theory is that is that Rudy. Uh, and the team have kind of slowly improved this season. Maybe relative to last year, it's not what fans wanted. Yeah, so no, I, I think that's fair. Is you know you expect kind of these big improvements every year, and that didn't really necessarily happen in terms of his on-court production this right. season. It should be noted that Zach Lowe and his um, ESPN All NBA team still picked Rudy as his starting center for a first-team All Defense. Right. I mean, I think he's still clearly the best defensive center in the league. Yeah, I don't know who else you'd pick. Mark Gasol has been so injured, and he's dropped off since yeah, his DPOI. DeAndre campaign. Jordan, DeAndre Jordan, um, Hassan Whiteside. I mean, uh, he's yeah. got a bad rap, but he got a lot better at the second half of the season at actually making a difference on the score sheet. Sure. Um, I think part of that was how Spo used him. Definitely, for sure. Having him come off the bench was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and then Draymond Green, if you count him as a center. Tim Duncan has the best defensive real plus minus of any player in the league, which is crazy given that he's a cyborg. Ancient. <laughs> As a robot, he shouldn't qualify. Right, right. If you have more metal in your body than than flesh and bone, you probably shouldn't win awards. Right. But, oh well, life is unfair. Um, <laughs> moving on to, let's do Alec Burks. I, I thought this was a really interesting answer. Um, I, I asked him kind of the same question, but you know, what, what do you want to work on uh, this offseason in order to get better next year? This is all he said. Uh, everything. You know, I feel like just pl- completing the whole year, not getting hurt. You know, just everything on offensive end, everything on the defensive end, I want to be a part of it, and I'm going to take that next step. That's okay. awful. Cool. You want to be a better player. So Every, do I. Everything. I want to be taller. I want to be a baller. However, Alec Burks, do you, you also need to have an, a plan. Do you yeah. think he has an internal plan? He just doesn't want to share it with the media? Or do you think... I don't know. This is my debate with See, Alec Burks. Is I don't know if if a little bit's a ploy to not be interviewed. Because he's, he's thinking, if I give them... Four second sound bites. They're not going to come bug me in my stop locker. Stop asking questions, but and, we'll just, just ask you more questions. Yeah, just because you're persistent. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. You hope he's more self aware than that, and he has actual uh, plan for his game in the off season. Yeah, and and David Locke told me he was able to kind of press him into saying, "Well, I guess my three point shooting." But like, even that's not a very nuanced sort of thing. Like, cool, you right. want to be a better shooter. Uh, that's not that much better than saying, "Well, I want to be." 
a better basketball player next year. Like <laughs> I want to be better cool. at basketball. I, I I don't know. I I worry about Alec Burks for that reason because there aren't. He just goes out and plays, right? Like he he doesn't. Right. I'm not sure that he fits into Quinn Snyder's system yet. Um, I don't you know, know if his teammates know how to play with him. Right. And very well. That's uh, at least I think partially because he hasn't adjusted to them rather than the sure. other way around. Yeah. Um, it's. To me, a real uh, a real worry whether or not Alec Burks is part of the future of this team. I'll, I'll be out be that big about it. I wouldn't be that surprised if he's not around um, by the trade deadline next year. Yeah, I think it's totally conceivable that <clears throat> excuse me the management figures out he doesn't work in the system and and deals him away. Right, and that's the bummer. But oh well, <laughs> I mean Everything. that's that's also Everything. a business. <laughs> But, uh, but he he do you think he's a better or worse interview than Trey Lyles? Worse. Uh, they're both bad. Yeah, they're bad in different ways. Bad in different ways. Alec is like fun and will smile with you, right? Like I I kind of like I like interviewing Alec more. Yeah. Trey hates me clearly and hates every media right. person for invading his time. Right. And Alec when he left the session and when he left the stage today said it was a good little session guys. Was he being facetious? I think yes. Yeah, I think he hated it. But he does it with a smile. I don't know. Maybe he was being serious. I I didn't know how to He's a hard guy to read. I feel like I can read people well, but Alec Burks is an enigma. Can you read Trey Lyles? Yeah, I think he hates the media. Okay. I think you're <laughs> yeah, right. So. I think he's. It's interesting. Because I think he thinks he's better than us. Like he's a he's a twenty year old guy who's you know like oh I'm mad that I have to deal with this. Which is he's kind of one of those guys too that could have the media eating out of the palm of his hand right. because he's, he's smart and funny. You're right. He's pretty charismatic off the bench. He seems like he's got that ability, and then we he want puts to on. Love you, Trey. Right. Are we just gonna have a problem with Trey? Are you gonna are you specifically Andy Larson gonna have problems with Trey? I will if he keeps it up. <laughs> Not careful. Yeah. Six ten to whatever he is, guy is going to watch out. It's true, but it, yeah, I, he puts on this just stoic mask of, uh, I think we played good. I think yeah. we played poorly. I, I don't tried know. Hard. We just tried hard. I, I'm going to improve my game. It just is so generic. But yeah. I feel like that's a little more calculated than Alec. But maybe. Speaking I don't of which, here's Trey Lyles talking about his defense. Um, right now, you know, NBA defensive player, you know, it's definitely something I need to work on. Uh, you know, I know that coaches know that, and that's definitely something that I'm going to be focusing on during the summer, you know, uh, working on different things on the court, off the court, watching stuff. And, you know, I definitely want to, you know, be as good of a defensive player as I am offensively. That is a non-answer. No, up, I mean, no, it's not specific. It's very generic. That last little bit was interesting. I and mean, he says, I want to be as good of a defensive player as I am an offensive okay. player. You're right. But the rest of it was, I'm going to keep working on it with my, on like, the court. My, my question <laughs> off the court. On the court, off the court. Watching stuff. I'm going to just be as good of a defensive player as you can be. My question was, how good of a defensive player do you think you are this year? How good do you think you can be in your prime? And what are the steps that you need to take the, to get there? Yeah. And his answer was, well, I think I can be good. And I need to work harder in order to be good. Like, yeah. uh, give me something, Trey. Yeah. Like, if you care, then give me, like, do you need to be, do you need to have more lateral movement? And I get it. Like, I'm a, like, needy media member who has the cushiest job in the entire world. But oh, just, I, I, fans want to know what it is that you have in mind to get better and improve yourself so that you can, you can be the star level player that we think you can be. Yeah. Um, 
And, and like he's made improvements already. Like this season, I guess it's not not working out for him. But um, like he hasn't stagnated. Like I think you can make an argument that Alec has. Yeah, but <laughs> the interview just just give me something. I think we uh, could do a, everything. We could do a whole show where we just analyze players' relationship to the media. It's yeah. pretty interesting. Oh, for sure. I think. Gordon Hayward also hates the media oh, a little he bit. Definitely, definitely does. <laughs> Trey, which is Trey which is heartbreaking as like a, as another person who could have everybody just in the palm of his hand, and I think he's a smart and at guy. At least he tries. Sure. Gordon Hayward tries to give a good answers. It's clearly just like annoyed at how little we know. I've seen so much eye rolling in right. the locker room. So from much. Gordon. Yeah, Gordon's very passive aggressive about it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Trevor Booker is a free agent this offseason and was asked about uh, his status moving into next year. I mean, I would definitely love to stay, um, but I know it's a business, so I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, I know, you know, other teams are interested, um, but I would definitely love to stay. But um, you never know. Yeah, I think that's basic. basically it. I'm impressed. He really does like it here, likes Utah. Um, He's a fan favorite. Fan favorite. It's just kind of whether or not the Jazz can upgrade his position. And if they can, he's probably gone. And if not, then he's, you know, then I think the Jazz would be happy to have him back. Sure. And I don't think anyone's made a decision either way at this point, obviously. He hasn't been told for sure, hey, he, we're not bringing you back. I would be surprised. But he's not a player that you make promises. Around, no, right? you don't promise your fourth big energy guy. I don't know. Yeah. Trevor Booker is so interesting to me because he's one of those people that everybody loves to watch and. And it's all about the intangibles. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's like, it's the energy guy who rebounds. and and But at the same time, his value is a big question mark yeah. statistically. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because his, his offense is pretty clearly a net negative. Uh, his defense looks bad when I watch games, and then his defensive plus minus is actually really good. Hmm. Uh, I think it's the second best on the Jazz behind Rudy Gobert. And so you're like, whoa, you know, yeah. are you making this big of a difference? I, I watching it, I don't see how or where he is, but you know, maybe I'm missing something. Is it because so. he's playing four minutes with Derek at the five? But then, usually, plus minus is smart enough to give Derek the credit for that if it's if it's him sure. that's causing it, right? Like, yeah. so I I don't know. Um, and meanwhile, the Trevor Booker Trey Lyles lineup is really bad defensively, or at least really bad to Jazz land. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then one last quote. I thought this was interesting from Joe Ingles. But but these guys, I mean, this is very similar. It's, I mean, everyone gets along. Um, I th- uh, there's no egos. There's no um, guys trying to trying to get numbers over other guys. It's a really really good team to be a part of. It's something that um, I think you'll look back. We'll all look back in in the future when we move on to different teams or different situations, and you and you'll miss a situation like this. So. Um, definitely lucky to be a part of it, and um, hopefully they can keep that that group together for a while. I think that was interesting. Just that, like, look, you know, he's been on so many different teams, but he thinks that you know, whenever he does move on, and you know, Joe Ingles, I don't think is a jazz man for life kind of player, mm-hmm. but they'll look back on it and say, you know, that was a really cool thing to be a part of. I, I think that says a lot about what the Jazz are right now as an or- organization and a locker room. Especially after, you know, you kind of hear things from, say, Ennis Cantor, who felt the exact opposite. Sure. And it's interesting. He says it's only second to that Australian national team he's a part of. 
that vacationed together right. and shared a house during All-Star break. Yeah. The Jazz probably aren't quite there. but And, and it's been interesting to see Joe fit into this team, especially, uh, you know, Dennis Lindsay said that they've erred on the side of chemistry and mm-hmm. player development, that, that chemistry is so important to this team. And, you know, they wor- obviously worry about disrupting that. Um, for And Jingles is just the perfect player to fit into that. He seems yeah. very inclusive. I don't know. Definitely. Throws a no, lot of towels. No one is a f- class uh, no clown. one is above Joe Ingles' antics. No. And that's I think that's important. Yeah. I think every team probably needs that guy. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. We got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to go a, a little bit around the NBA, talk about these playoff matchups and, and the two coach fri- firings that have happened today. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in to the Salt City Hoops Show. Andy Larson, Andrew Treasure joining you for our final segment of the of the day of the week. Uh, next week, by the way, the show is on Wednesday, so if you have your Salt City Hoops calendar, yeah. mark that in it. And um, I won't be here. And Andy so won't be here. Don't listen. No, Zach will be back. Look at it as a positive. It is a positive. Rather than as a negative of like sad, sad Angie. Be happy is what I'm saying. I am happy. The people will get a better co-host. <laughs> no, you've done a great job and the mm. world appreciates your contributions. Sure. It's true. Um, I, I wrote a whole blog post about this, okay? I know. So anyway. Eight lines. I counted. That's <laughs> read it in a different browser than I did. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about these playoff matchups. First of all, let's start with the Western Conference. This Golden State-Houston matchup, I mean, clearly Golden State's going to win. I thought it was interesting. Rockets TV did a segment where they polled their users, to their their viewers, to see who they thought would, how far the Rockets would advance. And 100% of them said that the Rockets would lose in the first round to the Warriors. Yeah, that's that's not a debate, is it? No. Then San Antonio plays Memphis in the two versus seven matchup. Another one that's not a debate, especially because Memphis is just broken. They're mostly dead. Yeah, uh, they won none of their games against the Spurs this season. So, whoops. Um, do we think those are both four game sweeps? Yep, Kay. I do. Okay. Yep, I yep. Okay. <laughs> Oklahoma City, Dallas. Um, I could be interesting just because Carlisle's such a superior coach, right? Like, and the Thunder have been having enough troubles with like fourth quarter lineups that you right. think that there may be something there. Maybe um, out of anyone else, the Thunder have just been a, an enigma as far as what team's going to show up that night. Yeah, no, that's very true. Now, Oklahoma City has won all four of their regular season matchups, but at least there were two that were within three points. Okay. So it could be closer. Maybe Dallas sneaks one. Sure. Sneaks one at home? I think one or two, but two. I, I, yeah. I would be shocked if it went to six games. And then L.A. and Portland play in the 4-5 series. Uh, that could be fun. It could be fun. The Clippers won three of the four regular season matchups, uh, and it kind of depends. I think ultimately L.A. will have enough. Their final matchup was a really close game just two weeks ago, or I guess three weeks ago now, March 24th, uh, when the, the Clippers won by two. But, I, I'm again, playoff Damian Lillard is a lot of fun. So much fun. And I think it's difficult to play in Portland. Moda Center is Agreed. not friendly. so Agreed. Uh, you've got the Eastern Conference matchups. Yeah, so 1-8 in the East is the Cavs versus the Pistons. So 
I, I, some people are calling upset, but I doubt hey, the it. The Pistons lead the season series three to one. Really? Yeah. Weird, right? That's weird. I mean, it'll be fun to see Stan Van back in the, back in the playoffs. I know. Watching him shout when there's no mic is so much fun. <laughs> I, I like with, it with, with mic better. We, right. More, more expletives. I like watching him dribble. Like when they show uh-huh. the practice videos, that's yeah. great. You're just like, oh, wow, Stan Van can move a yeah. little bit. So tons of fun. I think, what do you think about that series? you think it, it's a sweep or you think No, it, I don't think it's a sweep. I think it's, I, I think that's actually maybe closer than any of the Western Conference um, matchups. Yeah, this East, this East matchup situation is ridiculous. Um, there's four teams with 48 wins. Right. So uh, the, the 2-7 uh, Toronto Pacers, uh, it's kind of interesting, depending on Kyle Lowry's health. But I, yeah, I would be shocked if they dropped that series. Raptors won that season series three to one. Uh, I, I mean, ultimately, yeah, you're right. I, uh, playoff well, Raptors have been a bad thing in years past. Sure. I think Toronto, uh, they've added enough to their team. They're doing enough different things. They won 56 games. That's, That's only one less than the Cavs. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're good enough to win that series. And Paul George hasn't been transcendent the last... No. He's still a lockdown defender, right. but offensively he's he's been a question mark. And he can't guard both of Toronto's perimeter threats, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Sure. Presuming Kyle Lowry's at, at full health or something yeah. close to it. 3-6 um, with identical records is Miami Heat, Charlotte Hornets. See, th- this is how not how I was hoping it would go down, um, that Miami would play Charlotte. I mean, regular season series tied at 2-2. I I, I guess Charlotte has, I, I don't know, Miami to me has a better talent, right? And so often mm-hmm. that, that wins. Kemba Walker's had a great season, and uh, uh, Charlotte's, they're good defensively, and I think Steve Clifford is a good enough coach that I'm excited to see what he does in this right. sort of situation. I think that they are the coaches have are of similar enough caliber that I don't know if you can give the edge to either one. That's true. Yeah, Spolstra is also quite good. good. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think that's going to be the most interesting. Well, I don't know. 4-5 uh, is, five is to great. Me, Hawks, Hawks, Hawks Celtics Fox, yeah, is crazy. That could be a really close series. Yeah. Again, it kind of depends what version of the Atlanta Hawks show up, right? Like there yeah. was this part of the season where they they figured out their defense. They were top three defense after the All Star break, uh-huh. and then uh, last year, obviously, they were such an offensive juggernaut, and they never really got that this season, yeah. mostly because Kyle Korver stopped making it's as many. Amazing threes. what a linchpin he was for that right. team. Right. And uh, and if he can find a semblance of that, that might that series might be over quickly, but. Boston, Boston is such a fun team too. Yeah, and again, better coach there. So I, I don't know what I don't know what to think. Better coach in Boston? Yeah, I think Brad Stevens is a better coach than Mike Budenholzer. But they're I'd say they're comparable. Uh, you think yeah. he's head and shoulders? I, I don't. Okay, not head and maybe a head. Head. A head. Not head. And <laughs> a small, shoulders, a but small just, shrunken head. Right. Like, uh, who's got the smallest head in the NBA? Uh... Dwight Howard's head always looks small because yeah. that's I think is relative his to his shoulders. Right, because his shoulders are three feet wide. Because it's comical. He looks like a Muppet. But his head, his head is too small for his body, for sure. Yeah, but I don't know if it's the smallest head in the NBA. <laughs> we have two coach firings to talk about, too. Oh. Um, first of all, George Carl let go by the Sacramento Kings. He's gone. Yeah. We don't care you have cancer. Get out. Well, and he still has a lot of money left on his contract. Yeah. Um, Bad. Uh, it was never going to be a good fit, like, based on what they were trying to do with with Rondo and and 
George Carl likes up tempo and DeMarcus Cousins is not that and I don't know. It was it was a weird hire anyway. Like George Carl is a great coach, but yep. the player personnel and, and coach philosophy never fit. I feel like it's still gonna be messed next season. No, for sure. Like the, I, I don't think see they, any way that that they're like, like we'll turn around out. next year. No, I I don't get I don't get how that happens. And then uh, Randy Whitman's gone from Washington. Yep, I think Scott Brooks will fill that role. Yeah, I, I think so too. But do you think they get KD? No, not at all. Right? Like uh, so. I think that's their hope. And then is Scott Brooks a good coach when he doesn't have Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook? Sure. I the Whitman. Is, I don't know if he is. Whitman was just a dinosaur. A little bit. For sure. Yeah. Randy Whitman's like they might gain five wins just by firing Whitman. Sure. But I don't know if Scott Brooks is the best choice there. Anyway, uh, that's our Salt City Hoop show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thanks to Suge Knight and Garrett Failer for <laughs> all of their mentions that we can't notifications that we can't mention on yeah. the show. Yeah. If you want to listen to more Salt City Hoops shows, check us out. SaltCityHoops.com. And of course, our interview segments on ESPN700Sports.com. Andy Larson, Angie Treasure signing Bye. out.